Football on the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Dowdy and Jason Churchill back this week as we put a bow on week three, move toward week four. And Jason, before I pour out my heart on Kansas football from what happened on Friday night, this this is what I want to talk about quickly. And this right here I think is just pure hot garbage. I'm really curious your take on it. So after the Florida State-Virginia game, Virginia wins that game after the late debacle Florida State win. It uh, looked like Florida State was going to tie or win the game late. I think there were like three or four seconds left in the clock. Everybody saw it. Yeah, I get that Florida State got screwed by the clock. I think there should have been like six or seven on there. I kept running after the first down before they stopped it to reset. And I'm not even sure that mattered. It sure seemed like they had the play called regardless if there were three, four, five, seven seconds on the clock. And Willie Taggart kind of alluded to that in his press conference saying that Kendall Bryles had the play called. So that's what I'm leading into. So they took the direct snap on that play. Didn't work. And after the game... This is what Willie Taggart said, and this is courtesy of War Chant TV. Was there a situation where you already had the play called up before you converted the third down? Did you already know what you were going to run if you converted it? Well, I didn't call the plays. Kendall called the plays, but uh, he had the play called, and again, we just, just get it done. And Jason, I hate this so much. And like Willie, I get it. Like I can't even imagine the level of frustration. I mean, what are you? You're six and nine in your career at Florida State. You worked, walked into a situation that. I don't think anybody really understood the magnitude of what was going on at Florida State when Jimbo Fisher left. And I understand all that. But still, you're coaching probably the most undisciplined team in the country that I've seen. The constant unsportsmanlike flags. I mean, whatever Marvin Wilson was doing, I think it was in the second or third last drive of the game. Other than these just dumbass penalties, I hated the quote. Jason, do you hate this as much as I do? Putting, do you first of all, do you feel like he was blaming Kendall Bryles? I, d- I don't actually. I I don't have an issue with the quote directly. I, we we can talk about the issues with Willie Taggart in in general, and they kind of play into this particular conversation. But you, I read the quote, and then I I heard the quote, and I listened to the to to the you know the the questions leading up to it. I think Willie Taggart. Now I'm convinced 100. percent he was simply answering the question. Is like he just answering because guy, he's frustrated? Like, hey, go go ask him because he's the one who called it. But I, well, I'm kind just of, like he didn't have he didn't. It sounded like he didn't necessarily have the answer, the direct answer to the question of did you have the play called? Well, I don't call the play, so I really can't answer that question. He called the play, but he answered so that know. question though. That's my problem. Is before that he said that 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 Kendall Bryles made the call or that they had the play. Sorry, they had the play call going into that. But then the follow up question is when he said. I don't know. Kendall called the play. It's basically like it wasn't my problem. Go ask him. Well, if you're asking, if you're asking about whether the the play was decided, the the, the play call was decided uh, a down before. You do have to ask the offensive coordinator if if Willie Taggart is not directly involved in the conversations that that ultimately culminate into the play call. You have to ask the play caller that question. How is he not part you, of that you, conversation? How how are Kendall I, Bryles and him not I'm on not the I'm not saying he's not listening. I'm not saying he's not in on it. But if he's not like going back and forth, and it's he's not literally part. There are defensive minded heck. There are offensive minded co- coaches that don't call the plays that don't talk much during the conversation because you don't have a whole lot of time to get the play called. Hey, what do you want to do? You have seconds to do it, and especially in this situation, if they did have the 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 play called one play ahead of time. You don't have any time. You have to call two plays there. You call this one and then you call that one. How much time for back and forth actually is there? There's none. So I, I don't like how Willie Taggart handled this because for me, there's not enough Willie Taggart accountability in the, in the entire Willie Taggart head coach at Florida State conversation. Anytime he opens his mouth, it sounds like he's trying to avoid saying things like, I have to do a better job. I have to get our coaches ready. 
I have to be more in this conversation or whatever it is. We're not planning right. It's all about we just didn't play. What, what did he say yesterday 10 times or Friday? Or yeah, yesterday 10 times. He said, hey, we didn't play enough winning football. There wasn't enough winning football plays. Well, what does that mean, coach? Like, are you trying to throw this on the players as if you're not the ones guiding? I mean, he's literally well, he blamed, the guy He blamed that's hydration for week one. Like, his go-to right. reason why they lost that game was hydration. It's like, Willie, you're from Florida. You've coached in Florida. You understand the heat. Why are you even bringing that up? Even if that's and a none problem of those coaches, And none of those coaches and trainers are new to the whole idea that Florida's friggin' hot. I mean, come on. Well, bring it up internally. Even if that's a problem, even the same thing with this. If there's a problem with him, him and Kendall Bryles, why are you even? I could understand, like, if if whatever reporter was, at, I think it was two different people asking him that first question, the one we just played. I can understand, like, if they just keep going on and keep going on and keep going on, him finally snapping and be like, "Guys, go talk to Kendall." I'd be fine with that. I just didn't get the tone from him that he was specifically trying to throw Kendall Bryles under the bus at that particular point. But there's the the problem here really isn't for me that comment. The problem is Willie Taggart's approach with excuses. It's excuses instead of I just need to do a better job. There's no accountability there. We're not hearing or reading however you're digesting these Willie Taggart quotes and press conferences. We're not hearing any head coach accountability. It's going to fail at Florida State with Willie Taggart because of that. You cannot. How many really good coaches have you heard after losses where there's been weird things, whether it be, you know, clock management or play call or just sloppy play or whatever, where the coach was like, yeah, I, I, that's not me? Because that's that's what Willie Taggart did today. Whether he was throwing Kendall Browse under the bus or not doesn't matter in, in this part of the conversation. He's literally saying, that's not me. When ultimately it is him, the buck stops to Willie. The buck stops at Willie Tagger. No matter what the issue with the Florida State football team actually is, whether guys are showing up late left and right, whether they're getting stupid penalties, whether they're running the ball well, whether the play calling is is weird or questionable, whatever it is, it all stops with Willie Tagger, and he doesn't seem to understand that, which is extremely weird because he's not new to college football. I mean, you and I are, you know, I'll speak for myself. Everyone won't speak for you. I'm just some dork who watches college football like crazy every Saturday and sometimes Wednesday and sometimes Friday. But it, it, I can see this. Like, I can't imagine in any scenario where you're supposed to be a leader, where you don't show 24-7 that kind of leadership. You have to be accountable. Yep, I made a mistake there. Or yes, we made a mistake there. I needed to chime in. I needed to do this. Like, folks will respect, the players will respect him more for that. His, his the guy that hired him, the guy that keeps him, uh, the president of the school, his assistants, the media, the fans will all respect him a lot more if he just goes, yeah, I need to do a much, much better job because it's not working right now. What kind of precedent is he setting? Like, where does the line stop when all these, and I'm not going to, neither of us are trying to get into that Florida State locker room. I have no idea what's even going on in there, nor does probably anybody else except for maybe a couple of beat writers. But what kind of precedent is it setting? When there's James Blackman, whoever is sitting in the locker room, and they hear about this or the, the next day or a couple of days later, and then they're if they're frustrated about something that Willie Taggart's doing behind the scenes, their coach went and, and in my opinion, I I hated the quote. You didn't hate it as much as I did. And in my opinion, he went after an offensive coordinator lightly, granted lightly, but I still think he went after an offensive coordinator and said that's his call. And now whoever Blackman or whoever's sitting in the locker room and they're asking about something and you're asking a student athlete, in my opinion, to be more mature and say the right things than what your head coach is doing. Like you said, Willie Taylor, this is his third, well, no, fourth head coaching stop. 
Like, he's done this before. He's been around the block. He's been around good coaches. He's been around good assistant coaches. So I don't understand. Like, it, it, to me, it, it comes across that he thinks Kendall Bryles made the wrong call. Do you get that feeling at least? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think. And, and part of the reason why I think that is because he literally said that. Well, we need to do, we need to score. We need to like we've heard this before from him. Well, it, it's the right move if it works, and it didn't work, so it's not the right move. So again, this all comes back to Willie Taggart, and he needs to understand that, and he needs to admit that, and he needs to be okay. And and what's the word I'm looking for here? He needs to be secure in his position as the head coach at Florida State to be able to go say that. Now we hear some coaches, not all coaches, but some coaches are fine saying that. You know, we, we, I remember Harbaugh being a guy, I was like, he never blames himself, but then you know what late at Stanford and a couple of times very early in his tenure with the San Francisco 49ers, he was like, yeah, that's gotta be something I do better. We, we heard him say that. Even if he doesn't believe it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's all about the relationship between his team and the, and the public. It's really a PR move more than anything. You don't you don't even go down the lane of throwing your coaches under the bus. You don't lay blame on anybody else. It all stops with you. You're the CEO of that athletic program. You have to take responsibility for it, even if you had nothing to do with it. This is why when coaches get uh, – this is going on, obviously, with the University of Arizona and college basketball uh, with the FBI investigations. The head coaches need to get fired when those assistants are out doing that. Every – single time you can't tell me that the head coaches aren't responsible i'm not saying they should be prosecuted like those assistants are for breaking federal law i'm saying they should all be fired sean miller should not have a job anymore if you're telling me that an assistant at at a program broke the law and recruiting violations all in one fell swoop the head coach is ultimately responsible for that so obviously the head coach is responsible for every other thing especially when it's sport-related, when it's football-related, that happens with that football team. Willie Taggart's not going to last very long in Florida State. We know that. I, I think at this point, there's no other direction this can go. I just don't know you know, what, what they're saying. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Are they willing to buy him out after this year? Uh, if they're already convinced that he's not their guy moving forward, do they pull the plug during the season? You know, What do they do? What, what kind of money do they have? I don't know the answers to those questions. Yeah, I don't think Taggart, and we'll move on here. We, we talked about Taggart a couple weeks ago, like you said, so I don't want to beat him to death too much. But I think it would be different in some certain situations. I mean, like if Mike Leach is saying this, he's been up at, at Washington State. I think this is his 10th year, not ninth or 10th year. I feel like he is the type of guy who could say something like this. I mean, Washington State loves Mike Leach. They like his staff. And I feel like because of what's going on at Florida State, Willie Taylor can't say things like that. And whether that's fair or unfair, I don't know. Win more ball games, then you can say stuff uh, like this. All right, one housekeeping item here. This is going to be a double dip week for the High Motor Podcast, so come back on Wednesday. And I'm going to have an interview with Adam Brenneman. Remember, he's the former Penn State tight end, former UMass tight end and All-American uh, at UMass. And Adam, he was in that first full recruiting class for Bill O'Brien when he came to Penn State after Joe Paterno, and he has a new podcast. I was listening to it. Uh, he had Christian Hackenberg on the second episode or third episode. I can't remember a few weeks back. They had some interesting comments on that kind of whole period, that whole transition of getting recruited, uh, getting to Penn State after the whole Sandusky scandal and then when Bill O'Brien left. So I have some questions for him, kind of expanding on that stuff. I want to get his take on O'Brien's departure. 
Uh, I also want to ask him, how Joe Paterno, how is he viewed within that program? We know we hear a lot of people around the program, within the program, kind of saying the company line with Joe Paterno, but I'm curious what Adam, uh, he was pretty candid in, in that podcast and the other one, so I'm curious what he'll say about that. So come back on Wednesday, and then also with that, that Wednesday episode, I'm going to have a week four betting preview with Chase Kitty. Uh, this is a man that does pretty well and knows his stuff, so hit that subscribe button. You'll get that midweek episode with Adam Brenneman and betting tips from Chase Kitty on Wednesday. But hey, Jason, speaking of betting, before we get moving on the High Motor Podcast, let me ask you, if you found $100 on the street, you would pick it up or would you keep walking? You'd pick it up, right? Oh, I'd pick it up. I'd pick up a lot less than $100. I'd pick up 50 cents, bro. Of course. Everybody's going to pick it up. Everybody's going to take the money. So why do people keep predicting winners of football games when I actually betting on them? So that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on and when you're betting is key also. That's why I'm telling you my bookie has the best in game betting around has the best first half props second half props parlays to multiply those winnings if you know you have some winning picks that week and no matter how you bet the nfl and college football season is the best time of the year to do it and if you join my bookie now i have a promo code to double that first deposit for you so go to my bookie double your first deposit with the code motor M-O-T-O-R on mybookie.ag to activate that offer that's motor on mybookie.ag play win and get paid at my bookie this football season. And Jason, you and I, we're going to play your wrong this week. And uh, a lot of Big Ten questions in here now that I look at it for really no reason. So number one on your wrong, and this is me making a statement, you telling me if I am wrong. Number one, Lovey Smith will survive the season as Illinois head coach. The Big Ten is the Pac-12 if you just take out Ohio State. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. Does that seem fair? I mean, I'm, I'm looking it, at it I'm looking at Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, even after uh, the Arizona State loss, Michigan State, Penn State. I'm looking at all those teams and saying, that's Oregon, that's Washington, that's mm-hmm. Utah. Yep, 100% convinced. And I know it's um, kind of stupid to take out the, the, the best playoff contender from a conference, and I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form, nor are you, that the Pac-12 is but better. But that's the but whole if, narrative. That's if the you, whole if point you're out, If you take out Ohio, Ohio State, State the then that's what it is. Yep. Number yep. three. Nebraska needed that Colorado loss to move forward as a program. Number four, yeah, number four, stay in the Big Ten here. Michigan, they're a slight favorite over Wisconsin. That's on Saturday. That's in Madison. I think I've seen anywhere between like a one, uh, three to four point line for Michigan as of mm. Sunday. Over the last week, it's kind of varied between there. I'm going to say Michigan will win that game. Excuse me. Whoa. Wisconsin will win that game straight up. I was about to say you're wrong, but I agree. You agree with Wisconsin to win that game straight up? Yeah, at home, yeah. All right, let's continue riding there. You're wrong Wait, train here. Can we go down that road really just for 20 please, seconds? Please, What big game has Jim Harbaugh won at Michigan? And, and that's an honest question. I'm not saying there hasn't been one. I just can't think of one. I'd have to one. look it up. That's the problem. I'd have to right. go and look it up. Yep. Yep. I don't know. Big problem. So I don't, I don't think that starts this weekend. Another big time one, number five, Mark D'Antonio should be on the hot seat. I don't know if he is, but he should be on the hot seat. I'm going to say you're wrong on that one. Do you think he is on the hot seat? No. Do you think he's, I think he's you don't earned, think he should be? I, I think he's one of those that's earned the right to, you know, a little more leeway than you would typically. But what's give the somebody. leeway there? I mean, since that playoff berth, I wrote it down. He's twenty-two and nineteen, thirteen and fourteen in the Big Ten. I don't even care if you're playing the East schedule. Thirteen and fourteen in the Big Ten over the last three and a half years. This comes down to expectations for the football program at Michigan State. What exactly do you do you think Michigan State football should actually be? We just got done talking about the fact that Ohio, Ohio State, and yeah, it hasn't been good. 
But Ohio State is clearly the class of the conference. Michigan, Wisconsin are probably right there at two and three in some order, right? And and probably should be, right? So Michigan State should be, what, the fourth best team in the conference? But they're not all that far away from being there. You know what I mean? They should be competing for a Big Ten championship every few years. That's fair. And and when, and what was it, 14 or 15? 15 was the playoff. playoff. Yes, they're 22 and so 19. They're four years out? I mean, D'Antonio has, has ripped think, off so many of those. I think he's going down 11. that road. I think he's going down that road. I just don't think we're there yet. I think we're there. I don't know. And I think reckless speculation here, I think that he actually might be on the hot seat. I think the offense is so troublesome. And what happened again against Arizona State, I don't know how he. He, like, what is the argument for, yes, I understand what he did before, and like I said, I think those are distorted expectations of ripping off all those 10, 11, 12 win seasons, but it's not like he inherited a program or lost so many guys to d- jump down to three wins the year after that. Do you have the then, recent record in front of you? Do you have the recent, like, since the playoff, do you have the year-by-year record in front of you? He went 3-9 and nine in 2016, uh, and then they won 10, and then what did they win last year? Seven. Yeah, so three. they won 10 games in 2017. Yeah, so 2016 was three and nine, one and eight in the Big Ten. 2017 was ten and three, seven and two in the Big Ten. That's when they tied for second in the East. In 2018, seven and six, five and four in the Big Ten, fourth in the East. So we're one plus years removed from a ten win season. So if yeah, he if he, putting, and, if he had gone seven if he had gone seven and six in 2017, are you there? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I'm. I'm certainly. I'm certainly a lot closer because now I'm starting to think maybe the game has passed him by. Like, seriously, maybe he doesn't understand how innovative he has to be as a head coach and how innovative the recruiting and play calling and every little intricacy that comes with college football in 2019 has to be. But that was a season plus ago. It's it's two years ago. I'm not quite there yet. Ten wins. I mean, that's nothing to spit at. I don't think it's anything to spit at, but I think the the. Well, the three and nine season, I don't even know how to explain that, but I get that. So from from 10 to 15, he won. Uh, 11 games, five of those six seasons. I get it. With that, you earn a minimum of what? Three to five years, basically regardless of what happens, unless you just completely go in the shitter, you get three to five years after that. I get it. He delivered a playoff berth, for God's sakes. But then after the three and nine, I, I feel like the three and nine and ten and the ten win season kind of just balance each other out. So then they go seven But again, six. If, you, if, if you reverse those two years, if he wins ten games in what, 16, and then goes three and nine in 2017, now I'm starting to think it's been a long time. It, it's been three plus years since the program has been good, has been really good. You know what I mean? So now again, I'm starting to think maybe there's something that's not happening there that needs to, but it, it was just two years ago and they were really good. If you expect them every, if this was Alabama, he's fired already. You know what I mean? If this is Florida, maybe he's fired already. They they, they don't wait a, a long time in Florida, right? At least not lately. Uh, if this is USC, he probably still has a job because Clay Helton is the same guy. He really hasn't done anything uh, at, at all. Yeah, but so he you beat look at the Stanford, last four though. Of- he beat Stanford, and everyone's saying, hey wait up. Well, we saw how that worked out this weekend. Turns we? out Stanford is not good. Stanford is terrible. Did you watch that UCF game? Oh, Absolutely my God. not. If you would have told me this was 2013 and put the uniforms, to like switch the uniforms, reverse the uniforms, I'd have been like, yeah, okay, Stanford. Yeah, they're pretty good. It is going to be interesting, and I, I haven't even – I think I actually have UCF, the word muted on Twitter, so I don't even have to see it anymore. So I, I haven't <laughs> even put Why? Because I have several hundred words and, and accounts muted on Twitter. That's how I have cleaned it up and made Twitter a very enjoyable But why place to UCF be. in particular? Because I don't want to even see it. I don't care. Ah, 
Okay. I mean, I can't even imagine what's going on in Orlando right now. People are screaming, we beat Stanford. I saw even some troll. I mean, Danny Cannell, we understand what Danny Cannell is. I think you even <laughs> I mean, responded to that tweet. But he's Doug just, Gottlieb Jr. <laughs> right. I mean, they're, they're just absolutely – and, and I get that up. Cannell – maybe he actually believes it. Maybe he doesn't because he just spews nonsense all the time. But he's saying that that win proved that they should expand the play. It didn't prove shit. It proved that they beat – and what what is Stanford going to be? Like a seven-win team, maybe like a top 50 team at the end of the season? Yeah, maybe. So yeah. what did that prove? You, you beat an average team? I don't get it. It didn't change my mind on UCF at all. We all know that they're a good top 15 to top, top 20 teams. I haven't even put myself into it, but I would imagine the folks down in Orlando who I just absolutely cannot stand, and I'm sorry if you're a fan listening to this right now, but after all the shit that's happened over the last couple of years, I can't even imagine. Maybe I should put myself in it just so I'm not talking out of my ass here and see if they're actually screaming for the playoff. After beating the top 50 team. You don't need to listen to UCF fans. No, that's not necessary. Don't do that to yourself. Ever you, since the whole already... collusion argument, I've kind of just turned off everything UCF since that happened back yeah, in January. It, it, it's garbage. But it, it, getting back to the, 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 the Michigan State thing, really quick, what's the first guy that comes to mind? If they made a change tomorrow, what's the first guy that comes to mind? I'd go, to after, replace... Luke. I'd go after Luke Fickle in a second. Okay. Who's the first cool. guy? You think there's an obvious name there? No, no, I was asking you. I thought, oh, you know I thought, no, I thought, I I thought you were yeah, sitting there yeah, nope. having this just name that you want to yell out. Who is the guy there? I think a lot of people, we all Pat Narduzzi, and we should probably talk about Pat Narduzzi here in a little bit because he spent so much time at Michigan State. I would not hire him. But I, who, who is not now. <laughs> seriously, who is the guy there? I mean, there's not this regional. Like, yeah, if P.J. Fleck was still at Western Michigan, I'm sure a lot of people would be clamoring for him. Or if uh, if whoever turns back, like when um, uh, Brian Kelly was at Central Michigan, yeah, I get that, but... Seriously, who's the name here, and would Luke Fickle even go to Michigan State? Right. Wow, we got, down, on... we got down a quite a rabbit hole here, talking about Mark D'Antonio being on the hot seat, and now we're firing him and replacing him. It's a good it, it, it's a good conversation. I mean, you know, Michigan State should fire their basketball coach, too, for all the garbage that went on there. I mean, this goes back to the, the, the first part of this, this whole phase. But if you're going to fire, it, again, I learned this a long time ago. If an athletic director is going to fire one of his or her head coaches, they already have to know who they want to get. They already have to have a good idea they can actually get them. Well, unless you're Bowling Green, you just go to Google and type in the highest scoring offenses. Then that's a fascinating question. I don't know who I don't know who they would hire. I mean, when was the last time I'm blanking on their AD? He's been there forever. Mark Hollis. I mean, he hasn't made. Has he actually made a men's basketball or football hire? I don't know if he has. I don't think so. I don't think so. He's been there for a long. He's been there for a long. Been there. Antonio's been there since what 2004? Five and Izzo's been there yeah, since what? Izzo's been there since 1905, so he hasn't made a move like that. Yeah, you're right. That's good, uh, 2007 that's is Mark D'Antonio, so I don't even know. I mean, it, maybe Mark Hollis isn't the type of guy that that has the list of of ten guys mm-hmm. in his desk. Oh, uh, you can't be an AD unless you have that. So if he doesn't, he needs to be fired tomorrow. Let's get that done. Luke Fickle. First, okay, really quick. Who's the first guy to replace the Michigan State AD? Because we just fired him. So who's that guy? Lynn Swan's available. <laughs> God, I wish you would have let that get out of my mouth because uh, I know it would have brought you so much joy if I said Lynn Swan unprompted. Yes, it would have. He's unemployed. He's looking for work. I know he wants to stay in Southern California, but maybe he would relocate to East Lansing. He could, he could do that job remotely. The job he did at U, <laughs> the job he did at USC, you could do that remotely. So if Michigan State really wants him, he's their guy. It's like some cities, like I know, like in Colorado, some of those mountain towns, the the, the mayor is literally remote. A while back, like the mayor of I think he was like Vail or Winter Park or something, like just lived in Denver. He was working yeah, remotely it. as the mayor. So maybe Lynn yeah. Swan is your guy. 
Lynn Swan, the AD at Michigan State, working remotely. Do you ever play this game? And I know you don't, but I'm still going to ask this. He question. would just hire Clay Helton, dude. He would just fire him. He would fire somebody and hire Clay Helton in Michigan State. Oh, goodness. Sorry. Do you ever, whenever you're watching like a football or basketball game, do you ever ask yourself, which of those two cities would you want to live in? Like Alabama was no. playing at South Carolina. Do you ever say to yourself, would you rather live in Tuscaloosa or Columbia? And I tweeted that out, and it was heavy Columbia. Even though Columbia sucks, I've never been to Tuscaloosa. I'd probably say mm-hmm. Columbia, too. You never played that game with yourself? No, because the answer You're I mean, not having not enough an fun. It's not an interesting answer because I don't want to live in either one of those holes. Right, but you can look at all of those you know. 100 FBS games every single week and say, would I rather live in uh, Cincinnati or Columbus? Seattle or, I mean, Pullman, but that's not even fair. <laughs> Corvallis or Eugene, yeah. stuff like that. How about Seattle or Honolulu? That's who they played this weekend. The dogs have the, I mean, the Warriors. I, you know, as much I mean, as it, I, I'm guessing that's where the University of Hawaii is. I don't even know. Yeah, it, it is Honolulu, but Honolulu sucks. Yeah. The rest of Hawaii is great, but the city of Honolulu. Yeah, but you're is really terrible. close to all the cool stuff. It's like living in a bad suburb of a cool city. Or, Still, where I live in Seattle. You know. Maybe you should start playing that. Oh game. yeah, certainly, certainly. But if you're a if you're an island person, if you're a surfer and you like the warm weather, then Seattle's not for you. So we're, what, 25 minutes in, 20, 25 minutes in, haven't even talked about Kansas football yet. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, oh, I mean, you're, you're, you being a Kansas guy. I was waiting for guy, you to ask me. I've been sitting here um, sweating my butt off I, in my closet I, waiting for you to ask me. <laughs> I knew we'd get – oh, boy. Uh, I, I knew we'd get here. We need to get here. Um, two questions off the top of my head, and you might have tweeted about this already or even written about this already, but the things that I'm wondering from somebody who is, has a little bit of a – we'll call it vested interest in Kansas football – uh, how much did that win, first of all, A, mean for you? And two, what does that mean for the program? Is this like literally one of those that could catapult them to the whatever the next level actually is? And I don't mean into the national title picture or anything like that. Just wherever they are and what that next step is, do you feel like eons more comfortable they're going to get there in a timely fashion now after this victory? You know, during that game, I looked at my wife and I were watching the game together, and I looked at her, and she also went to Kansas, um, so she's been through all of what I've been through too. And I think I looked at her probably 10 different times and said, do you understand what is happening here? Because not only did they win, and Kansas fans can understand this, not only did they win, they played a real football game. I'm not exaggerating. They played a real football game for the first time since 2009. Like, that's not even, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, they, they played a real football game, 60 minutes, they looked comfortable. When they beat Texas back, well, 2016, they won because Texas lost the game. Like, they actually went out and won this football game, looked like a real team. I mean, it, this has been tweeted and people have talked about it. Their last Power 5 road win, October 4th, 2008. This was my wife and I, our first Power 5 road win together. We started dating three weeks after that road win. It was at Iowa State, October 4th. So we've been together, uh, what, what year is it, 2019? So 11 years, and this was the first mm-hmm. one. So it, tell me how good Boston got. Where did you have Boston College rank before that game? That's a really good question. I just put out my rankings right uh, this morning, updated them. So I dropped them several spots outside of the top 50. Right now they're at 58, down from 35. So they were 35. I had so- Kansas 120. And where do you have Kansas now? 90. And I think 120 might okay. have been generous after how poorly they looked. But, yes, it, honestly, starting that Clearly, game, that's a different football right, team. Right, starting that Clearly, game, I mean, you probably didn't watch it, and a lot of people probably didn't watch it because it's on the ACC I, network. I caught about 30 plays. Yeah. Anyways, Boston College went down on their first drive, just ran down their throws. A.J. Dillon had like 50 mm-hmm. or 60 yards on the first drive. It was 7-0. And the uh, KU's first possession, they threw an interception. Seriously, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there looking up, what is Les Miles' buyout? 
I'm not keen statistically. It. it doesn't statistically that game does not look good. I mean, didn't they give Especially, up over 220 yards rushing and 400 and almost 450 yards of total offense? Yeah, but they had it, it doesn't look good. 570 yards of offense. Like their deep played fairly well against a, you know a, a, a much bigger, more physical team. But seriously, I'm sitting there when they're downs, and then Boston College kicked the field goal. They're down 10 nil. And this is what big Twins fan here. I was either going to switch over to the Twins game or see what KU did in the next possession. They end up scoring a touch. But I'm sitting there waiting for Boston College to score again to make it 17 nil, so I could you know put the Twins game on split screen. I'm looking at Les Miles' buyout. That's just how things have gone. <laughs> and then that flipped really. That really flipped fast. very very quickly, and now Les Miles, I want to give him National Coach of the Year. So. It- on a scale of no, let's not do it that way. Um, in percentage chances, if I would have asked you a week ago, "Hey, uh, Kansas hosts West Virginia in two weeks on the twenty-first, what are the chances Kansas wins that game?" So that's what would you interesting? Have said a week because ago? West Virginia looked really good against a decent NC State team, so that changed things too. There, the Big Twelve is kind of bizarre with how good Kansas State. I'm going off on a tangent here with how good Kansas State looked against uh, Mississippi State. However, good you think they are, and how good West Virginia. Uh, looked in in kind of running over NC State for most of that game. So yeah, before this happened, when I thought West Virginia sucked and I thought KU sucked, I still wouldn't have put it at more than five, six, seven percent to win that game. And now where are you? Fifteen, maybe twenty. Yeah, that's which that's you can't you can't actually. say that for. I mean, going into all of these games, and I was on um, a KU podcast. The name of it is eluding me. The other day, we were talking about. How so many of these games over the last seven, eight, nine years, they're literally over within the first 90 seconds. Like they'll go down to Lubbock when Pat Mahomes was there, whoever was there, they'd score twice in the first 90 seconds, and you know that KU is not going to score 14 points in that game. Like when they played TCU in primetime three years back, I think they had 45 total yards in that game. So you knew after TCU put up 14 points, the game was over. But I at least go into this West Virginia game thinking the game might not be over. And that's awesome. It's crazy. It was an emotional it's night. Crazy. It was an emotional night in the Dowdy household. It's pretty cool to see. So uh, two more final Kansas questions because that, that is a big win. And I, and I see wins like this as potential, um, you know, catapults, potential. Like, remember that win? That's when, you know, at least maybe that's when the media and the fan bases started to be convinced. But how that much of that is right overrated? Direction. I mean, you look at I, I know I, that like Syracuse. Over I don't know Clemson about overrated. I don't think you and me can know that. That right. So why don't we? Why, why don't you like? We should actually sit down and break this down sometime. Where I know I remember thinking that when I was watching that Syracuse beat Clemson a couple of years ago, and I, I'm thinking like, is this actually going to push Syracuse forward? And it did. Yeah, they, yeah, they got smashed by Maryland this year and they lost to Clemson, uh, so they're one and two. But it did push Syracuse forward. How many times did that actually happen? Where and maybe we should you know decide between what's a a flat out upset like the Syracuse Clemson game, whereas what is a shocking win against an average team like Kansas over Boston College. You have to separate that out, but how often does it actually push them forward? And and, and it, honestly, in my opinion, I don't even know that it matters. It's just that KU has optimism for the first time in a decade. But in in just about every every time that you, you see a team go from being bad to being good, whether they were good before and then they were bad for a few years, there's always a game to go, that may have been it right there. That may have been the sign. It, it doesn't necessarily mean anything if you're the coach or the player in terms of, yeah, this determines because one game doesn't determine anything. But it may have been the sign to everybody outside the program that things were headed in the what right direction. What if they direction. get blasted hearing, by West Virginia, though? But then there's just, it, that's just nothing. That's just status quo. So if the Boston College game by, still matters, you think, even if they go and get blasted could, by West Virginia? It, it could. 
It could. If they get blasted by West Virginia and then they get blasted by TCU and then they get blasted by Oklahoma and then they get blasted by, you know what I mean? Like, then that was like, okay, maybe Boston College is really bad. You know what I mean? Like, really, really bad. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was just one of those fluke games. But what if they're competitive in those games? What if they win one of those games? What if they, what if they, I'm not saying they're going to go to Texas and win or that they're going to beat Oklahoma. I think that's a home game for Kansas. Uh, what if they beat TCU? Well, it's about getting to four you know wins. I mean? Honestly, that they, they, they've talked about that they haven't won four games since two thousand and nine. I think that's they're going to win. Four. I think that's well, where they're already at two, right? Right, but in the Big Twelve, there aren't. It's not like the the, the Big Ten. Kansas where State you, is winnable. Texas Tech is winnable, right? Yeah, the Texas Tech game is looking a little bit better after. And TCU's not. And TCU's not that far out of reach. Again, Texas, Oklahoma, I'm not suggesting those are, but Texas Tech, Kansas State. I guess I mean, my point is, I think, for me, the, the bar is four wins. If you can get to four wins, let's actually talk about, I have optimism right now, but if you get to four wins, let's actually talk about moving this program forward going into win, next year. This win for Kansas reminds me of when Steve Sarkeesian's Washington Huskies upset USC. And you know what the word after that was? The Huskies are back. And while that was hyperbole, Steve Sarkeesian took a zero-win program and got them to nine wins before he took off for you. Oh, let me, let me interrupt after you. You're in, he you're literally in, turned the program on, around. I want to ask you about that. So you're in Seattle. You, you follow the Huskies closely. A lot of people around you do. Do you feel like, and this kind of goes along with what I want to ask Adam Brenneman about uh, how Bill O'Brien is viewed, do you think that Steve Sarkeesian gets the the reputation, the appreciation that, that he deserves up in Seattle? No, but that's his own fault. Um, is that because, because of what of happened some, at USC and how he treated people it, in Seattle? Uh, certainly, that that's that's part of it. That that's certainly part of it. And, and I don't think the leaving thing is really that big of a part of it because everyone it, knew he was going to leave it, anyways. Everybody knew that that USC, if the USC job came up, Sarkeesian was probably leaving because that's where you know. So it, I think it's because of the the off field stuff that occurred while he was here. The, there were some things, uh, and I don't really want to get into details. If you want to, if you want to know what they are. Google Steve Sarkeesian and Joey's and you'll, you'll, you'll get the answers to those questions. So, <laughs> so it, it, I think that's the reason why, and that became public and then he leaves. So it was like, eh, I don't know that, that the average Huskies fan was like, you know, F Steve Sarkeesian, but it, uh, you know, I, th- I think he gets, I think he gets, uh, there's an, as a coach, there's an understanding I think he gets a bad rep. What, there's an appreciation for what he did but there's also an understanding of what he did while he was there to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, and I think the casual fan misses how important the Steve Sarkeesian years were and how good of a job he did with a, literally a zero-win team. Tyrone Willingham gave them zero. I mean, one, they didn't win a game. I mean, it, it, I'm saying zero, and that's literal. They didn't win a freaking game. Right, and, so, and Sarkeesian comes in, and they win nine games. Now, granted, he didn't coach the bowl game the year he bolted for USC. That was Marcus Duasova, but that was their ninth win, and they won nine games. Pretty damn good coaching job by Steve Sarkeesian. Was he the guy to take them to the next level? No, but I think everybody knew that. They needed somebody to come in that actually had coaching and recruiting talent because Tyrone Willingham didn't have any, and they hadn't really had any of that since since Don James retired. And But that USC game, Andrew... I think about that USC game all the time. When did this finally get back to respectability and a little bit beyond? When Steve Sarkeesian showed up 
He got people excited about that program. He recruited legit kids. He had a he's a very good offensive coach, at least at the college level. Very good offensive coach. They, they, they talked about tempo and they were doing things. It was exciting. There was buzz around the program. And I think about this Kansas win over Boston College, and I have to think if they're even competitive in some of these games that otherwise they would they, they would normally get blown out. Like before, like they're not beating Oklahoma and they probably get blown out in that game, but do they do some things in that game or do they keep it a little closer than maybe some people expected or than they have in the past? Maybe do they upset TCU? Do they do they beat Iowa State on the road? Do they do a couple of things that in no way were they ever going to do in the past without Les Miles changing the culture of that program? That's what I think about with this Kansas win over Boston College on Friday. That felt good, didn't it? Hey, before we go here, a couple other coaches. I mentioned Pat Narduzzi earlier, and there's one. I don't need to talk about his decision that much. So he, uh, for those that didn't see it, uh, Pittsburgh goes down. I think it was 17 to 10. Five minutes to go, they had the ball. At, I think it was at the goal line. I think it was fourth and goal from the goal line or from the two. It was from the two because he he ended up kicking a 19. I think it was a 19 yard 19 yard kick, right. kick, and he missed the kick. So I mean, if you go for it and, and you get it, obviously tie game. If you make the extra point, which we shouldn't assume because you missed the 19 yard kick. Or you kick the field goal and you're down 17. First of all, do you hate this call? I think it's just a joke. I don't like the call because um, it, the one thing I, I hate hearing, and, and it doesn't matter how many points you're down, but when you hear we're da- we were down or they were down two scores or they were down three scores, those scores need to be touchdowns. You're not down two field goals. You're not down three field goals. You might be down two touchdowns and a field goal. So when you have an opportunity, a really good opportunity – to score a touchdown, you have to take it. You can't just kick a field goal and think we're going to get this opportunity again. You might get an opportunity, but they're not created equal. So if you're down 10 points and you kick a field goal on fourth and one from the one yard line and and there's like six minutes left. So you're thinking I'm going to get a stop and then I'm going to score. That means you have so much confidence in your defense to get a stop and to not allow any points, not even a field goal. And then to get the ball back and score on that possession in a game in which you had scored 10 points in the first 55 minutes. too. Otherwise you should be going for that touchdown. This is one of the, even in football in this day and age where data leads the way. I feel like there are head coaches out there that think I'm going with my gut here far too often. And it's 2019, man. Like this is not the time to, 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 to let gut rule over data. You can marry the two or you can rely on the statistical evidence to suggest what you should do in that scenario and say, we've heard coaches say the percentages say to do this. We've heard that for 30 years. It's 2019. Narduzzi could have done that. He absolutely, and I'm not saying so he'd have somebody other than himself to blame. He can say, my decision was to go with the statistical evidence. And people have been like, okay. So if they'd have gone for it on fourth down, we wouldn't be sitting here going, what an idiot. But now, as we sit here this week on Saturday, Pat Narduzzi was an idiot. And after the game, he said he didn't even question the decision. And the thing that I, I, I kind of want this to go into here, because he said he, he that was his call and he would have done it again. And and this goes into something that happened in the Minnesota Georgia Southern game when uh, the Gophers were up, it was up eight points. It was 21-13, uh, just about two minutes left in the half. They had the ball, fourth and one from their own 34. You're going against a triple option team that can't throw the ball. You punt the ball, right? That's just, I mean, that's just common sense. They went for it. So P.J. Fleck went for it uh, with a vanilla call that hasn't worked all season with the dive play that just doesn't go anywhere. And he said after the game, this is what I think is really interesting. And to be clear, if, if this is what the coach wants to do, go for it. It's your damn team. Call whatever the hell you want. But he said after the game he would have done it again, just like Narduzzi said, because he has confidence in his guys. I'm and I, I love PJ Fleck. I, I don't care about all of the, the sideshow stuff. I think it works in college football. 
I don't, and I have no evidence to back this up, I don't buy that it was the right call. I don't buy that he thought it was the right call. And I can't help but wonder if it was simply an exercise to show that he trusts his players. And if I'm right, do you think that P.J. Fleck is out of line in doing so? I wouldn't say out of line. Uh, is it worth the risk, back, I guess? I think so. What are you trying to do here? Are you, are you trying to tie games? Are you trying to lose by less? Are you trying to give yourself a 3% chance to well, win? You're trying to build trying a program, to actually... too. You're not just trying to – yeah, you need to be George Southern, my God, but you're trying to build a program. So do you, have a, you don't have a problem with it. Even if P.J. Fleck thinks it's a wrong call, you don't have a problem with saying, you know what, this is a key moment for my program. I'm going to show I trust my guys, even if it's the wrong call. Yeah, I mean, because then then afterward, if it doesn't work, then you kind of admit that it was the wrong call. How is that a program? How is that a program? You know what I'm saying? But it, it well, it, what if it was the wrong call? That, is that just going to, the, wrong, that's you going to the arrogance of college football coaches not admitting when they do something wrong? It does. It does. Because think about this. We're, we're not talking about eight-year-old kids here. This isn't peewee football. The, these are 18 to 22-year-old kids, okay? And while we say kids, they're adults, they're not stupid. You don't think their quarterback knows when, man, that didn't work. That was a bad call. Or the way they were lined up. This, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to know all of this and you know, therefore overrule their coach or they should overrule. What I'm saying is quarterbacks know. Running backs know. Guards know. Centers know. They get it. They were like, man, they were lined up here. I don't know why we did that. So if you make a call that was actually the wrong call, whether you admit it or not, those players may not be convinced it was the right call. No matter how much the coach says, well, I have confidence they can get it done even though that play hadn't worked or no matter what the alignment was on defense at that particular point. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Why would the why would the center at that point that goes, boy, they brought nine guys in the box. Why would we run that play? We could have checked out of it or we could have run something different. We could have called timeout. Why didn't we do that? Now he's questioning his coach. He's not going to say anything, but now he's like, damn, our coordinator did this and our coach backed him up. I don't get it. So why would you do that? Why would you risk that if you're P.J. Fleck? Well, maybe it just goes into how much control does a coach have over his program, what type of culture has he built there. So maybe if they're they're going for on fourth and one and all the guys on the sideline are thinking, God, like, what, PJ, what are you doing here? And then when the play doesn't work, they're thinking, what did you call that for? Or maybe they've just, they've just they've built this culture, and it's a very unique culture there in, in only three years, and they still have a long ways to go. But maybe – But they're human beings, man. There, there's no right, way. Maybe if there's you no build way, it, maybe you know if you I mean? build it and they're and – they're, you have players on the sidelines who are thinking, God, I don't know if I would have done that, but hey, you know what? I trust my coach. Does it go both ways? But there has to be evidence, though. There has to be evidence. No human being is just going to go, well, the coach said so, so I totally believe that it was the right. That's not how this works. You know what I mean? I mean, and maybe geez, they do. Maybe that. on Sunday morning they came in and PJ explained the decision and say, you know what? In these cases, we have whatever percent chance. Maybe there is something to back up. And while they might understand that, I get where you're going. While they might understand that, completely understand that, and understand that the coach had confidence that the play would work, if the kid sees otherwise, he's still going to believe his own eyes. Yeah, again, these are human beings. There's no way, man. These are not robots. You're not programming them. That's not how this works at all. That's why it's so difficult to be Nick Saban. That's why it's so difficult to be Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, it's remarkable. There's only two of those it's guys. It's remarkable talent to have that much control over, uh, what, 120 or, kids? Or to, or to make the right call 99 times out of 100, it seems. You know what I mean? To make the, the right call and to have the right game plan and to hire the right coach. How many times has Nick Saban lost a coordinator, pulled another guy in, and still won a title? Like, it's crazy. So no matter what Nick Saban does, it ends up being the right move. So it's really hard to question. And they might lose a game, but and the kid might go, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. But then they go out the next week 
and they win, 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 then they win a national title. There's no reason for the kid at Alabama to go, man, I don't know why we called that play. There's no reason for that because they won the game 42-3. to At Minnesota, it's a little bit of a different story. At Pittsburgh, it's a little it bit of a different story. It probably goes into what we were talking about earlier, how, how Willie Taggart can't get away saying that. But um, if Nick Saban says that, everyone is laughing and say, ha, did you hear what Nick Saban Seriously, said? Seriously, yeah. Because what would we be talking about today if Nick Saban would have said something like, let's say Alabama lost a game and there was a questionable call, offensive call on a key third down or a key fourth down that played into them losing the game. It's Nick Saban, shut up. Who cares what happened? And Nick Saban and Nick Saban goes, well, you know, I didn't call the play. Are we really talking about Nick Saban throwing his offensive coordinator under the bus? No. I think we are, but in a different context. No, we're talking about Nick Saban wants you to ask the offensive coordinator because he just disagrees with the, call, the play call. That's it. We're not talking about him throwing him under the bus because it's Nick fucking Saban. But because it was Willie Taggart and he has no accountability in general and he hasn't won and he hasn't proven himself, we're questioning just about everything he does, and rightfully so. All right, Jason. Let's call it. How many wins for Kansas? Give me how many wins for Kansas. Come on. You want four. You say four is the benchmark. Can they get to five? No. I'm not done with Kansas. No, can they, they can't get, get to why five. Why not? So they can't beat West Virginia and they can't upset TCU. They can't beat Texas Tech at home. They can't if you're beat saying Kansas State it, would I, if, you, if we're putting an over-under at four wins, I would take the under. I'll hope for a push. So we'll put the over-under at four and a half. So you're saying four or fewer? Yes. And it's not, it's not even a, a – and maybe I'm just wrong on this because going into that Boston College game, Boston College was favored by – it varied between 18 and a half and 21 and a half. I don't bet that much on college football, but if I were betting on that game, I would have taken Boston College comfortably. I talked to Chase Kitty, like I said, he'll be on on Wednesday, and he said, am I crazy for thinking that Boston College and the under is an easy play? And I said, absolutely not. And I think he put a couple hundred dollars on it and it didn't work out. But that was the right play there. And until and talk about seeing something and trusting something – I love what happened on Friday night, but I don't trust Kansas football yet. It doesn't erase. Baylor it doesn't erase. At home, it. they can't beat Baylor at they home. They couldn't beat North Carolina or uh, Coastal Carolina on, at home. They scored seven points against Coastal Carolina. They didn't score for the game's final fifty-five minutes. They just rolled minutes. up Boston College, man. Maybe Boston College. There's is a sucks. guy. Okay, okay. Here's the thing. There's a guy on the internet. Okay, there's a guy on the internet, and there's a Twitter account out there. But you know, uh, I'll get that to you later. There's a guy on the internet that ranks all the teams every week, and he had Boston College like thirty-fifth. Coming into Friday's game. That's what I had him. I told you, I had him at like 38. 35. <laughs> so, come on, I had him man. at 35, and that was me. Right? Trust your gut. Trust your so gut. I'm the guy on the internet. No st- yeah, you're the guy on the internet. You are the guy on the internet. So when I say there's a guy on the internet, it's always, always you. I don't know. I- I'd be excited if I were you. And and is it cautious optimism? Sure. But what the hell do you have to I'm lose, extreme man? I'm extremely excited, but I'm also just appreciating what happened. I've watched the highlights of that game like 15 times because I mentioned I'm just appreciating. It feels like they won the Super Bowl. I'm not kidding. That's what it feels like right now. If they win more than four games, you're buying beers. If they win more than four games, I'll fly out to Seattle and take you out to dinner wherever you want. <laughs> Done. You're going to take the whole office out to dinner? <laughs> I never said that I'm going to pay for it, but I will, I will physically take you to dinner. All right. Lead us there. Next Sunday, me and you, High Motor Podcast. Yep. All right, guys. In the meantime, check out past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you do your podcasting. Follow us on Twitter at High Motor Pod, at Adowdy88, 88, just two eights, at Prospect Insider. It's college football every single week here on the High Motor Podcast. Oh,